Hello everybody, welcome back to the Missing Peace podcast with your host, Becca Guy, that is me, and today is a lovely episode with a guest who is Aoife of That Di- that Irish Dietitian on Instagram, and she is a weight-inclusive anti-diet dietitian, and as you can imagine, we're going to have a conversation about something that we both feel incredibly passionate about, and that is about ditching diets, ditching diet culture, and returning to what is a peaceful relationship with food, with body, with with ourselves, with movement, all of that, because it is something that we've both had personal experience with, but also Aoife, of course, as a dietitian, which she'll explain a little bit more about the term during this episode as well, is somebody who is practicing this within the work that she does. So she has much more of a, I guess, a research and informed approach to, you know, that expertise essentially on top of what I share on the podcast really which is my lived experience of it um so you maybe obviously are quite used to this conversation if you've been listening for a while and sorry guys sorry not sorry but I'm never going to strip about it because it's changed my life and uh yeah that's why we're having this conversation today and I I just want to say that a little confession I just I've tried a number of times to record this episode and yesterday's extract which is a shorter episode a shorter like a clip of this episode trying to pronounce Eva's surname which is by no means difficult but I just kept getting tongue twisted with it so I'm so sorry Eva, but if you want to hear her surname listen on <laughs> I just yeah I just couldn't get it and I was getting annoyed at myself so I thought let's just uh, let's just skip that out but now I'm talking about it so there we go. <laughs> so a few things to mention about this episode are that there is a trigger warning for this episode, which you'll see in the show notes, and that is for eating disorders and for weight stigma. So if this is something that can trigger you, please be aware when you listen to this episode, if you decide to do so, if you think that it's going to serve you, and please seek the support that you need afterwards, should you feel that you need that. And also, Just to say as well that the information shared within this episode is for general purposes only. It does not constitute individual advice or personal advice. So do check out Aoife's website below for more details on that disclaimer. So in this episode, we are talking, yeah, about why diets don't work and also the research behind it. And to share, and Aoife explains it so brilliantly, intuitive eating, which is something that we both absolutely love. And of course, she's practicing within the work that she does as well. And intuitive eating, we both know that that's like a real foreign term when you first hear it. So we chat about how, you know, how we've both experienced it. And then Aoife shares different ways in which we can begin to explore intuitive eating. So we do have a little thought experiment that you can give a go with at this episode. Um, She talks me through it. So yeah, we explore that. And We also do have um, a conversation on weight stigma, like I mentioned in that trigger warning. And I want to share this because we do use the term fat within this episode. And there there is no kind of association placed on that. It is being used as a neutral term. And also just to explore what is fat phobia, you know, Let's be honest. And Eva was really honest and vulnerable in this episode, sharing her experience <clears throat> of that as well, because it is something that, you know, probably quite a lot of us are familiar with because we've been taught most of our lives that being basically weight loss is what we should be aiming for. We should be aiming to be in the smallest body possible. We should be aiming to look like particular people that we see in the media. <clears throat> Excuse me. My throat chakra is obviously finding this uncomfortable to talk about, <laughs> but and that's because we're we're not trying to offend at all within this episode, so that's not an intention. But the term is used, and we also discuss fat liberation, or rather, Eva mentions fat liberation because this is a term that is being reclaimed by people in bigger bodies as well, and just essentially creating either a neutral term as a lot of people may use it for as well but also to reclaim it as a a body shape and size and we both must really also highlight and Eva says so in the episode as well is that we 
don't have the experience of being in a, a bigger body. So we can't fully understand that. But essentially, I wanted to share this in the beginning so that, you know, it's a difficult one to put into words. It really is, you know, hence hence my little icky throat, throat chakra thing going on there. But we don't want to offend anybody, but I just want to highlight that this term is used and it's it's part of a really big, bigger discussion, a much deeper discussion. So yeah, that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode. Do check out all the links below for Eva. She also has a freebie on offer at the moment. So yeah, that's linked below as well. And if you want to reach out and share anything that comes up for you while you're listening to this episode, or if you want any more advice or anything going forward, do get in touch with Eva or myself. Um, and yeah, we are looking forward to hearing from you. Enjoy. Hello, Eva. Welcome to the podcast. Let's hope, fingers crossed, for like the hundredth time. I don't know how many times we've actually started recording it because it's been quite a few, hasn't it? It has been plenty of times that we have tried to record this episode, but we're here and hopefully yes. this is the one. Fingers crossed. Exactly. So if people are listening to this, like be, yeah, we don't even know if this is going to work because this has started many times. So yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed this is the one. So um, yeah, welcome Aoife. And yeah, thank you for being here to talk all about probably one of our favorite topics, I guess, which is diets or not diets. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> do you mind just starting by introducing yourself, what it is that you do and how you've basically got yourself to being an anti-diet dietitian, if you like that term? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's no problem and thanks a million for having me on this Becca it's fab um so my name is Aoife McMahon I'm a specialist weight inclusive dietitian anti-diet dietitian all of those kinds of labels um I the types of people I work with so I work with a variety of people um it can be people that have clinically diagnosed eating disorders but I also really enjoy working with people who just know in their gut that their relationship with food or their body isn't quite right um, and what I do is I help bring those people on that journey from going from a place where food or their body just has a hold over them to releasing them from that hold um, and achieving that food freedom peace and that's the work that I do with people at the moment. <laughs> oh brilliant so um, would you mind just sharing what the role of a dietitian actually is and how is this different to your typical role of a dietitian being weight inclusive, being anti-diet? Yes, yes, it definitely is. And it's definitely been um, a pathway for me or a different, uh, different journey. So when there are so many different types of dietitians and there are dietitians that work in so many different areas, I think there is this idea sometimes that dietitians only work with people to lose weight. Um, and that's understandable because of the society we live in and the amount of emphasis that's placed on weight loss. But dietitians can work with kidney failure or they can work with pediatrics or stroke. And there's so many different areas. Um, for me personally, I did get swept up in that pursuit of weight loss. Um, and it was something that was a question for me before deciding what I was going to study you know everyone talks about weight loss but there doesn't seem to be this answer of how to achieve it mm -hmm. so yeah so a lot of the reason that I went into dietetics initially was to study what is that key what is the key to weight loss um, and do it the right way and I ended up practicing in weight loss for a few years as well but while I was working in that area I kind of soon started to see how just the bigger picture that I, I felt like I wasn't part of um, a system that was helping people. And actually, from where I was sitting, I felt like I was part of a system that was perpetuating harm. And that's when I found intuitive eating and also found and looked at the weight loss research or lack thereof, which we both know. Um, and I was really grateful that I found that, but had to do quite a lot of unpacking and relearning about the science behind weight and this um, paradigm shift going from weight loss as the focus of care or the be all and end all to really earn unlearning that and moving to a place where you take the person as they are and treat them for whatever it is that they're bringing to session 
um mm-hmm. and that that one of the ways that I do that is working from a, a an intuitive eating paradigm so yeah would you mind sharing with us a little bit about all that research about diets that research which is you know basically saying that diets don't work yeah no problem um and I think a lot of the time when we hear weight loss doesn't work or diets don't work it really sits in conflict with what we know because what's all around us is you should be on a diet or trying to lose weight is this quote-unquote good thing that we should be doing um even if it's not classified as a diet but that pursuit of weight loss is seen as an, an inherently good thing but I suppose going back to that time when I was working in weight loss and just realizing that how it wasn't working for people or how it was actually adding to stress um, and and not um, not helping people, I started looking into that research. And what I found, which was a big surprise to me at the time, was that there have had, there's been research spanning decades back as far as the 1950s, showing that the majority of interventions for weight loss, weight loss focused interventions, do not work, no matter what you call them, whether you whether they're called intermittent fasting, whether they're called calories in, calories out, whether it's going on a health kick, that the focus on weight loss or pursuing weight loss, people can achieve it short term. A short amount or a small amount of people can achieve it short term. But as the time goes on, the majority of people will re- regain that weight. Um, and up to one in three people will regain more weight than what they lost before they went on a diet. Um, and the temptation is to be really, really frustrated um, with that, especially in the, the society that we're in. But in reality, what's happening is your body is trying its hardest to protect you against something that it sees um, as a negative or an attack on its body stores. It sees that you're in that food scarce environment. Weight loss is not perceived in your body as something that should be aimed for. So it will do lots and lots of things to protect you against weight loss. But not a lot of us want to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess it's that, you know, and then I guess when we get stuck in the spiral of going like, oh, my God, there's something wrong with me or I don't have the willpower Mm. to do this um do you hear a lot of that yes 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 um and I think there's a mixture of things I mean there's the background of what I've kind of started to talk about which is that is your body's response to try and protect you so when you make that decision to restrict I often talk about this you make that decision to restrict up in your mind up in your brain and there will be many influences as to what's encouraged you to restrict encouraged you to restrict so you know the body ideals of today the classic reference point is kim kardashian and all and all of these types of things um but there are many reasons why we we restrict it may be comments from friends or family or a really stressful doctor's appointment there are so many reasons why we make that decision but when we come back to it that decision is made up in our mind but our minds don't live in a vacuum. So we make that decision to restrict um, and we eat less food, but your body fights that. (laughs) So when it perceives that restriction, um, whether you're going on that restriction because of the comments or because you've been told to lose weight because it's quote unquote good for you, no matter what the reason is there, your body will respond in a certain way. Um, And what it'll often do is ramp up your drives towards food when it perceives that you are restricting food in any way um so some of the ways that it does this is it turns up the dial on your hunger hormones um so you're more hungry for foods it also turns up the dial on how attractive and appealing food seems so it smells um irresistible you can hear bacon sizzling in a pan for miles away (laughs) Um, and it will also your body will also turn down the dial on fullness so you're less likely to stop eating when you're satisfied so all of these make us feel out of control around food sometimes or maybe that we're not quite as as in control around our food choices Um, but ultimately they come from a place of our body trying to protect us against this perceived famine that we're in. But it is nothing wrong with you. It's you are not like you have not 
failed diets, diets have failed you. Diets fail you by continuously promising this weight loss, which diets know that weight loss doesn't work for the majority of people. But one of the ways that they operate is by convincing you that it is your fault if you haven't lost weight. Which yeah. Not great for well-being. <laughs> Doesn't make you feel good. But yeah, I get that comment a lot. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I guess it's that whole, um, we know it, don't we? That whole diet industry that wants you to keep dieting, that wants you to keep buying the diet products or, you know, what, mm. however it works. All the people they sponsor to, to show, look, I did this diet. And then people go and buy that product to do that diet or whatever. Um, yes. Is there any of the reasons why you think that diets... Um, and this form of losing weight have become such a big thing in our society why are we focusing on that when the research is saying otherwise money yeah. <laughs> money yeah. <laughs> um yeah the diet culture when you go into it this is a whole topic in of itself and it's so interesting and there are books on it as well when we span out and look at the history around diet culture there are several reasons why we are at the point that we are at the moment um, and the pursuit of thinness itself or the current body ideals are rooted in racism um, and misogyny and all of these different types of things and there is a history there which tells us why we are where we are at the moment but one of the big drivers that's continuing that at the moment it is money it is money there is a lot of money around selling you products to try and help you to lose weight and if you constantly feel like you're the problem and it's your fault that you're not losing weight that's ideal for diet industries because then people don't come together and talk about their experiences and say hey this is what happened to me is it happening to you and realizing that this stuff doesn't work when you're kept insecure and when you're kept in a place where you feel like you're the problem you're less likely to recognize um, that this isn't working and you're more likely to spend more money um, on whatever product it is that is is being sold at the time yeah the product to fix you I guess because of course you're you're broken and you can't do this yourself so you need something outside of yourself to do it yeah yeah a hundred percent and there's a lot of a lot of other industries that are are modeled on this revolving door idea um we're made to feel we're not young enough we're not um be- beautiful enough we're not thin enough and all of these things make us feel insecure make us feel like we're the problem um and that's an ideal place for a market a business a booming business to to jump in and say hey are you insecure about this thing well we've mm. got the problem that you need and just keep you coming back <laughs> yeah um but yeah yeah and I guess that's it, isn't it? And so we keep going back. But if we really stop and just, we're so disconnected from ourselves through it all, I guess, aren't we? But mm. when we come back to, if we actually sat there and went, wait, do diets work? Like I keep going back and doing the same thing over and over again. So you'd think if something worked, I'd only need it the one time. So yeah, yeah that's not working. So could you tell us a bit more about what you do instead working on intuitive eating? You know, I know I've talked about this quite a bit in the podcast, but I would love to hear your perspective on working with it, um, I guess, clinically, but also the research behind what actually is intuitive eating and how does that work? Yeah, this intuitive eating thing, right? That thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, this thing, this thing that we both love. What is it? Um, and I know that intuitive <laughs> intuitive eating it's it's thrown around it's quite one of these phrases that I feel has been popularized and has been part of a fad um and almost been associated with certain things and lost a bit of its meaning or people may not have um connected what with what intuitive eating actually means during that time period so it can be useful to kind of take a step back and look at what intuitive eating is um one of the ways that I suppose in terms of intuitive eating itself it was a framework that was created by two dietitians in the 90s um who I'm very grateful for for putting this together and they essentially put together 10 principles which guide you through the process of coming from a place where 
you're not connected with your body. You're not in tune with your hunger. You're not in tune with your fullness. You don't feel able to um, listen to your body's needs and respond to them. And a lot of the reason is because we're in this this diet culture, right, which encourages us not to listen to our body and to pursue weight loss at all costs. But it takes us through this framework of 10 principles, which unpacks and rewires and takes us from a place where we're relying on external cues that I should eat this way, I shouldn't eat this way, or food morality, you know, like certain foods are good, certain foods are bad, all of these things that are promoted in society. It walks you through that process where you are unpacking that um, and then rebuilding a relationship with your body which encourages body trust and a peaceful relationship with your body as opposed to feeling like food has this hold over you and you feel out of control or you're not doing the right thing or you don't know how to eat intuitive eating guides you to this place where you're listening to your body and responding um and one of the things that I hear quite often that I often relate to in terms of intuitive eating is that if diet culture didn't exist intuitive eating wouldn't be a thing it would just be eating because that's what it essentially is it's just reteaching us how to listen to our body's cues in terms of what it needs what it wants how to satisfy it from a food perspective at any given moment mm. i love how you've explained that that's a really good way to to see it as well um <laughs> do you mind just sharing a little bit of maybe like if somebody's trying to I don't know create the vision of this like how does it work because we're so stuck in what mm -hmm. a diet is would you mind sharing maybe some practices that you use or some way in which we can kind of go like actually how uh, what is that <laughs> how do I do it yeah 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 um so I think initially before you start practicing at intuitive eating I think what can be useful is having a little bit of a reflection on diets that you've been on or weight loss pursuits and just reflecting on how they've served you because if this is the first time you're hearing about intuitive eating if this is the first time that you're hearing about this whole weight loss doesn't work thing it can really sit in contrast with what you might understand and something that can help you connect to that um, experience is by just reflecting on your own lived experience because you listening you'll have that experience of your own body you are the expert of your experience with food and diets so just connecting with that first um, then when it comes to getting a bit of an idea about what intuitive eating might feel like um, it can be useful there are a couple of there are a couple of things but I might just talk about one pillar in particular when it comes to intuitive eating so one of the core pillars of intuitive eating is something called unconditional permission to eat um, and unconditional permission to eat is essentially where you allow yourself to satisfy your body's food or nutrition needs um, without strings attached um, there's no conditions attached to what you're what you're about to eat and what this can look like in a practical day-to-day -day sense is if someone is practicing unconditional permission to eat they will think about in that moment in time am I hungry do I want something what would satisfy my taste at this moment in time what's going to nourish me what's going to feel good and then they would eat that food and move on right and I think that's very different to how a lot of us relate to food um, at the moment, because a lot of us might think, right, I'm hungry. Should I be hungry? I've only just recently eaten. Should I be hungry at this moment in time? What's good for me? What's low in calories? What's green? What's the clean eating food of the moment? Um, and so these types of thoughts can cloud our vision of connecting to what our body actually needs because it's starting to categorize foods into good or bad. Um, this is a really big topic. And I think even just taking a moment before when before you eat a meal to reflect on what kind of thoughts or associations you have with the food that you're choosing. Are there any thoughts about the food being quote unquote good, quote unquote bad? 
are you having any should or shouldn't thoughts? Like I should eat this. I shouldn't eat that. Those are all diet culture based thoughts. And there's nothing wrong with you. If you do experience these, these are extremely common um, so common. Um, so there's nothing wrong with you if you do experience these thoughts, but recognizing that you are experiencing them, recognizing them as diet culture thoughts can start that process of identifying where you are and where there is room to heal your relationship with food as well. Yeah, absolutely. So unconditional permission to eat was one of those ones that really scared me in the beginning. So mm. scary because I thought, what if you like if I'm allowed to eat whatever I want to eat, I'll just constantly eat chocolate or eat all the biscuits. Mm. You know, how do we how do we begin to address those thoughts and to kind of say to somebody, hey, look, you know, A, you're not alone in this. And B, yeah. you know, we, we can work through this. How do we even begin that? Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad you named that because it is something that comes up so often during this piece, because when you've lived a life or been through a significant period of time or even a shorter period of time where you're not in connection with your body and you aren't um, listening to your body for those hunger cues, um, it can seem like a really foreign, scary concept. Um, if you have been either following diets or trying to pursue weight loss or going on health kicks or simply kind of watching what you eat, moving from those approaches towards this approach where you're connecting with your body's experience and when it's communicating that it's hungry, it can seem really scary. That's so valid and it's so understandable and so common as well. Um, one of the things that I like to do with people or speak through with people when they are experiencing this or come across this um, thought when it comes to intuitive eating is a bit of a thought experiment. Um, so when it comes to this thought experiment, we basically just chat through, like, say, for example, Becca, I'll ask you, put you on the spot. <laughs> um, what's your favorite food, ultimate favorite food? Ooh. And you may say, have a few. <laughs> I do. I definitely do have a few. But let's go with I love cake. 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 Cake yeah. is good. It's a good, good food. Um, what's your favorite kind of cake? Um, I like a chocolate cake. A chocolatey cake. Lovely. Okay. So with the chocolatey cake, if you were approaching intuitive eating for the first time and this is one of your favorite foods, this might be a food that you would feel fear or scared that you might not feel in control over how much you're eating. Um, so what I might ask you, Becca, is... In relation to this thought experiment, imagine if I was to tell you that you have to eat that chocolate cake, you have to eat it with breakfast, with mid-morning snack, with lunch, with your afternoon snack, with your evening meal, and before you go to bed every day <laughs> for the next month. What kind of, how do you think your relationship with that food would be? I mean, even in that initial period, you know, but then after a bit of time, how do you think you might relate to that chocolate cake? Would it change? Yeah, I mean, if I go back to when I was really in that beginning, um, yes, I was, yeah. yeah, I was definitely for them first, you know, a few days, I'd be like, this is amazing. I get to eat all the chocolate yeah. cake. A lot of fear because, you know, of course, you know, I'm thinking I'm never going to stop. But then over time, over a few days, you know, it's like, I can just see that my body and, you know, I know it now from, from what I've been through, but my body starts going, mm. ah, come on, I'm been bored of that. I need something else. I need a change. Yeah. This, this is making me feel really heavy, really quite crap, mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, yes. And I'm just not enjoying it in the same way that you, that I did in the beginning yes yeah 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 bang on and you're probably in a much later stage I mean you're in a much later stage with intuitive eating now where that chocolate cake it sounds like it doesn't have that hold over you but as you say thinking back to the beginning or for you listening if you're new to this intuitive eating piece just having a little thought experiment about that food that you really really like or one of the foods that you are afraid of that fear and that scared feeling is valid um and I'm not taking away from that however 
taking this thought experiment and going through it yourself can be a useful way of even as you said Becca you were starting to think about how your body even felt in response to the food initially yeah oh my gosh it tastes so good and there is biological reasons behind that when you're restricting and like I mentioned earlier your body turns up the dial on the reward processes around food so foods that you are heavily restricting are going to taste phenomenal (laughs) when you're in that restriction period but when you go through this process of I know that we just started off in the thought process today and that can be a nice start when you go through that process um, of being more familiar with the food and allowing it as part of a regular um, food in your diet the flare and the drive um, it's less intense and it kind of takes a step down from being this amazing, phenomenal, tasty, delicious food. It's still really tasty and taste is still a really important part of um, a healthy relationship with food. But it doesn't have that control over you that it did before. Um, one thing I will say is that going through this process um, of becoming familiar with your fear foods it's something called habituation um, and it's something that a lot of people do go through in intuitive eating it can be scary and it can be challenging and for some of you listening you may be able to practice it to some extent yourself introducing those foods but for some people or for you listening it may seem overwhelming and if it feels like challenging yourself on this would just be simply overwhelming then that's where I'd really encourage you to recognize that you deserve support to do this kind of work um, and seek if there's any support uh, near you that's accessible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Reach out to you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, reach out to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. Like when I went through the process, I just want to say this to hopefully reassure people as well. But I remember them going into them fear foods and previously I was always kind of like a restrict binge cycle. So it'd be like never eating a quote unquote bad food. And then Mm. like at work, someone would present a biscuit and it'd be like, if I have one biscuit, then I'm not going to stop. And I couldn't, it was all or nothing, you know, like I imagine you probably had clients like that, but it's all or nothing. And then that whole day would become like a day of basically eating everything I wouldn't allow myself to eat. you know on the good days in quotes um and you know so it was so so scary to start thinking well I can't control myself around these foods but when you know this is only one tiny part of intuitive eating isn't it there are these 10 principles there's this massive like framework not in an overwhelming way but all these ways that you come together to support yourself and I now don't binge but I never thought I could do that because I was about eight years of it um and so it is possible it's you know but you have to sometimes reach out for support and you have to know that it is it's it can be a long process because we're undoing that conditioning as well aren't we diets our whole lives Mm -hmm. of you're going to hear people saying different things as well aren't you people who are like well I couldn't do that or how are you doing that because you know you know we're supposed to diet so it's very difficult isn't it when you've got all these different external inputs so like you said seek the support that you need and know that this is a bit of a you know it's a difficult journey but remember why you're doing it and that the diets haven't been working for you did you have anything like what did have you been through the process of intuitive eating yourself and has there been any kind of like particular moments that you can really pick out on yeah I think so I have um I think I've been I've not been asked this on a podcast, but I'm glad you've asked me now. (laughs) Um, So I have been in the past in disordered eating, in the throes of disordered eating 100%. I think it's as it's natural based on the society we're in. Um, A lot of the focus of why I went into dietetics was because how I saw, now this is starting to bring in a whole new topic, but it was how I saw that people living in a bigger body we're being treated in our society. Um, so I know that some people go into dietetics because of their own personal journey. And while my own personal journey was happening in parallel, you know, I was seeking that um, cure for weight loss or what panacea that would cure all um, that was sold to us in the package of weight loss. And I was seeking the key to that. It was always to try and help other people. 
Um, but I feel that at that point in time, it was kind of misplaced because I was under the impression that helping people in a bigger body was to help them to lose weight. Um, and I think that's very, uh, it's rooted in fat phobia um, and it's very assuming and it's assuming that everyone in a bigger body has a problem with food. And there are multiple things that I've had to unpack in my journey of coming to this intuitive eating place. And I think one of the places that I did the most learning was when I was in clinic <laughs> and I was listening to people's stories and I was listening to the people that were coming in um, and just sitting and opening my ears and just taking in people's experiences and recognizing that people in a bigger body there's just so much we as a society we treat them horrendously do you know um and just simply trying to get them to be smaller is really not a helpful way and in fact is a really harmful way I know I've come I've gone on a complete tangent when um when asking this but I think I know a lot of people go through that that personal journey for me it's always been for other people but I have definitely gone on my own personal journey alongside that and my relationship with food is phenomenally better because I did um you know restrict binge engage in those kind of eating patterns um when I was younger and now food (laughs) it's just come right down off its pedestal and I'm really grateful that even my relationship with my body is it's very different through going through this process and it doesn't have the hold over me that it used to um and I know that that also some another thing that kind of comes into it is I do have privileges I don't live in a bigger size body so it is easier for me to say you know going through this process has helped me um to be more comfortable in my body to be more comfortable in my relationship with food however my experience is that intuitive eating is just so liberating for people of all shapes and sizes um asterisks little 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 caveat for people with neurodivergence or some symptoms of neurodivergence because some people have been born who don't have that connection with some internal cues um and it's important that we don't put pressure on people who this is you if you've never ever felt hungry in your life right but for people who have felt hungry and who have previously had that or have the capacity to get in connection with their hunger cues intuitive eating from my experience from where I'm sitting it's a game changer it's liberating um I'm so grateful that I get to do this work it's it's just amazing (laughs) oh do you know what I think I just want to say thank you for your honesty and I think that's pretty courageous because it is very difficult to then we dive into ourselves and our where our judgments have come from based on the condition mm. that we've had. So we can look into that. And I know I did the same. I'd be totally honest, put my hands up and say I was fat phobic because I was thought that was mm-hmm. wrong to to be in a bigger body and that there was that it was all to do with food. And mm-hmm. that's a massive subject that we should we should do that a whole different podcast actually. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, let's let's do that. But um, but yeah, it's it's important to mention that because that is an assumption Mm. that we have there and we go well and we can also then go intuitive eating maybe that doesn't work for people in different bodies but like you've just said intuitive eating actually works for everyone in any shape or size because we've all got Mm -hmm. so it's complex the issues the relationship we have with food isn't it so and the relationship with our bodies and that's you know that is different for everybody so do you mm-hmm. like just to kind of like because I know people may still be in doubt listening to this because I know I was when I first heard about intuitive eating. Hundred <laughs> percent, all of us. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so different. So, can you you know is there any evidence around it? What's the research behind intuitive eating? So I'm glad you asked that. When it comes to intuitive eating, as I mentioned earlier, it was originally conceptualized um, by two dietitians and that was in the 90s. So we're quite lucky in the fact that there has actually been 
a lot of research that has been done since that time period, specifically on um, intuitive eating, but also going from that place of what's known in the scientific literature as restrained eating that's one of the the names that people call it in the science which is instead of eating according to what your body needs and is communicating that would satisfy it it's ignoring that and listening to external cues or outside rules what you should shouldn't eat etc so there's lots of different names that they use in the scientific literature but there have been a lot of studies on intuitive eating Um, And what we know from the intuitive eating research is that there is a lot of evidence that intuitive eating is associated with weight stability. So instead of feeling out of control, like your weight is going up and down and up and down and up and down, that it's just more, it fluctuates, right? But in a much more peaceful range. (laughs) I don't want to use the word normal because I don't think that's applicable, but you know, it's not as distressing how much the weight fluctuates. Also, intuitive eating is associated with significantly less binging. Myself and yourself have both kind of mentioned in our own experience, but it is an experience that's reflected in the scientific literature as well. Um, And one of the big things that intuitive eating is associated as well is comfort in your own body psychological wellness being well in yourself um when we're in the grips of diet culture I don't think especially when we're in the throes of it I don't think we realize how exhausting it is (laughs) and how much it takes a toll on our mental well-being and our true potential um to be present when we're constantly thinking about how we should or shouldn't eat because food is something that we need to interact with on a daily basis it's one of our first and foremost intimate relationships and same with our body it's one of the relationships that we have from the moment that we're born and if we have a really trying relationship with food and a trying relationship with our bodies every single day that takes its toll and the scientific literature reflects that as well so there's growing research in favor of intuitive eating um and from the weight loss side of things we've touched on weight loss and how it works for a small amount of people in the short term but in the long term the majority of people regain regain and then some but also when it comes to weight loss and the constant pursuit of weight loss when you're constantly trying to shrink your body that takes a toll um and it can impact on your mental health and how present you're able to be in your life. And when it comes to the research about weight loss or weight and health, it's really not as clear cut as it's made out to be. Um, and weight loss does not automatically mean improvement in health. In fact, there have been no studies that have shown long term weight loss improves your health. None. And that seems bizarre (laughs) because we're constantly told lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. But it's not something that's sustainable. It's not something that humans are able to do. Um, So it's not an effective treatment. Um, And if there was a medication with the same outcomes or success, quote unquote, rates uh, as weight loss, it would be pulled from the market because the results are there to show that there's any benefits and actually it comes with a whole host of harms that constant pursuit of weight loss and as we mentioned kind of touched on earlier how it can make us feel like a failure like there's something wrong with us um, and it can also have impacts on our our physical well-being as well so there's there's a lot of research in a lot of different areas that when we put it all together it becomes quite clear that this weight loss this weight loss crack it just isn't working (laughs) um and the intuitive eating it really it's really promising yeah what we see from the science wow yeah thank you for sharing that it's um like you mentioned that it's the physical and the mental health benefits from intuitive eating and I always Mm. find it so interesting that you know when we we diet to lose weight and we we lose weight because we think we're going to feel better thinner we're going to feel happier thinner we're going to maybe feel more attractive more 
gosh, confident, successful in whatever we do. Um, mm. And that, I mean, if anyone's listening, you just ask yourself if that actually ever really happened. Whereas if you look at intuitive eating and the research on intuitive eating, how I felt, how you felt, you actually begin to get to those feelings because you're healing that relationship in total, aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. I love the way you've said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and I think just underlying what you're saying and what we're talking about again, and I know this word, none of us like to feel like we have um oppressive or discriminatory ideologies, but I think there's a lot of that fat phobia piece there. And I think it's important to mention because the assumptions that we have about weight loss the positive assumptions oh if they lose weight they must be healthy they must be desirable they must be successful they, it must be going so well for them um we also have that on the opposite side of things where if someone's gaining weight or if they're simply content with themselves in a bigger body um that is seen that is not viewed positively in society and that is part of that fat phobia peace and that is a hard thing to sit with that is a really hard thing to sit with the idea that we have those negative associations with people's bodies uh, at the same time in order to you know embark on a meaningful relationship um, or healing process in relation to your food and your body unpacking fat phobia no matter what size you are is quite an important piece of that that journey as we've kind of mentioned without without mentioning it <laughs> without naming it as such yeah yeah absolutely I think that's it it's it's such it's like I guess when you have been dieting for a long time you think that maybe intuitive eating is just very simply like you do this and you get that result and it's quick and it's fast and it's simple but intuitive eating is so much about healing your relationship not only with your body but with yourself with you you dive so deeply into like you said them thoughts that you might have had those conditionings that you've had about many different things about food about body size and it's difficult it is difficult but mm. it is ultimately so rewarding you said earlier liberating and it is it's liberating because it kind of frees you doesn't it in every single <laughs> aspect and it's just yeah it's just beautiful so yeah I've I've loved this conversation so far Eva. is there anything yeah. you want to share before we kind of dive into where we can find you is there any kind of like lasting last little things you want to mention I really enjoyed this this conversation Becca <laughs> first of all um and when it comes to this stuff like if you're listening and if you're hearing this for the first time I don't think I can say it enough I mean with Becca you've mentioned earlier and also for myself it is a long-term process and even that process of getting on board or really understanding it's one thing understanding and hearing this stuff but then after a while you know coming to the place where you embody it and believe it and know it all of this it is a journey as cliche as that sounds but again like you said Becca in a world where we're promised these quick fixes you know if you want this just go just eat these simple foods or whatever that's not what this is about and it's moving away from that and it's really diving into critically reflecting and doing that unpacking and just having a look where we're at now where we'd like to be does diet culture, dieting, the pursuit of weight loss, how has that treated us? Has it been your friend? Um, and then if it hasn't, I would highly recommend <laughs> just just checking intuitive eating out. And there's so many resources out there. I think this podcast is fab. And I know that Becca talks about intuitive eating throughout this podcast as well. And kind of getting into that world of intuitive eating and getting to know a little bit more about it. 
um, following people on social media. I know this sounds like a promo, but there's actually been research. <laughs> um, there's been research to show that if you are following more intuitive eating accounts or fat liberation accounts, your your relationship with your body and food can improve just by slowly dipping your toes in the water. You don't have to dive head first. But just having a little check out, what is this about? What does it mean? What it, what might it look like for me? And that can just help open up the world a little bit more for you um, in, in a way that's maybe less intimidating, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, no, you're so right. Because like you said, it might sound like some promo, but it, it isn't about that, is it? It's about the fact that you actually, I guess you create, you like you create a community, don't you? And you, you're mm. aware of what you consume because, you know, we've mentioned it as well. There are not many people that you may know in your life that know about intuitive eating. So yeah. it's about cultivating that understanding, finding like-minded people, people who've been on that journey, people like you follow you on Instagram. You've got such amazing mm. content on there, breaking down intuitive eating, because I we both know that it's a difficult topic to unpack and get yeah. into when you're, you know, you're not so sure. So yeah. definitely go and follow you as well. And I know I that, that you've got, um, you have a freebie as well at the moment. And what else have you got I going do. on? Yeah. So if any of this sounds of interest to you, if you're listening and you're new to intuitive eating, or you've heard about it before, want to get back into it or anything like that, um, I do have a freebie at the moment. It's a road to intuitive eating workbook. Um, so if you catch me on that Irish dietitian, so I'm that Irish dietitian on Instagram. I'm also that Irish dietitian on TikTok and I do all kinds of information about intuitive eating, anti-diet, the science behind weight loss. So you can get some free information there. But if you check out my link in bio, which I obviously highly recommend, <laughs> then you can access your your very own free workbook to get that work started. And if you've got any questions at all, I'm more than happy if you want to drop me a DM um, about any of this stuff. If there's any questions have cropped up, then then feel free to to head my way. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Eva, And I'll link everything in the show notes below. And this is already, I want to carry on talking for about another three hours because there's so <laughs> much, isn't there? So, so you're welcome so much. So you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. But yeah, thank oh, you very much for pleasure. coming on. Thank oh, you so much you. for having me, Becca. Thank you. No, you're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to know what you think of the episode and you can reach out to me in the show notes below. The options are there. And if you feel called to rate or review or share this episode, I would be incredibly grateful. Thank you very much, everyone.